end here in a few moments. Malachi, the first chapter. And once you find that, open up to Luke chapter 1 and place a marker there. We'll begin in Malachi, the first chapter, and make our way to Luke, the first chapter. So good to see so many of you out this morning. Worship thus far has been awesome. I really appreciate everyone who has led us in worship, directed our hearts to the Lord. It has been very, very edifying. We really appreciate all of the guests who are here today. We have several. We are so glad that you all are here with us, worshiping the Lord together in spirit and in truth. We'll begin in Malachi, the first chapter, in a few moments. In Malachi chapter 1, God is on trial. The Lord of all creation, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, uh, the, the creator of this world, the one who made life, light, and all things good. This God is on trial. This God has been attacked. He has been abused. He has been falsely accused. An entire nation of people that he has created have backed him against the wall, and their accusation is, you don't love us. God cries back to them in Malachi chapter 1 and verse 2, I have loved you. I've shown you nothing but love from the very, very beginning of time. All throughout scripture, we can see God's love for his people. It was God who loved their forefather Abraham so much that he came to him and blessed him with this land, this seed, and this nation. I have loved you, says God. I loved you so much that I made you a special people a covenant people, a set-apart people, a people for my own possession. I loved you so much that even in your sin, in your wickedness, in your rebellion, when you turn your backs on me, I loved you so much that I sent you prophets, priests, judges, and kings to deliver you from the Egyptians, to deliver you from the Assyrians, to deliver you out of Babylonian captivity. I loved you from the very, very beginning of time. And here now, you have the audacity to question my love for you. I am tired. I'm exhausted. You make me sick. I am wearied of your words, says the Lord. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 17. I am tired of your words. They ask him, why are you tired? Why are you weird? Why are you so upset? Because, listen to me, God tells the people, I am tired of you because you think that you can live your lives however you want to and then question my love, question my care, question my justice for you. That's why I'm tired of you. You whine, you complain, you're upset, and you cry, I'll give you something to cry about. There is a great day coming. There is a day when I'm going to pour out my wrath on all of those who reject me. There is a day that is going to come when I'm going to judge the wicked, I'm going to judge the godless, I'm going to judge the arrogant person. There is a great day come. That is coming. That is something to cry about. The Lord says in Malachi chapter 4, in verse number 1, Malachi chapter 4 and verse number 1, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all of the arrogant and all of the evildoers will be stubble. The day is 
lightning shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. A great day is coming. There is going to come a day where I'm going to wipe you out. But ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. Listen to me. Even still, even still, before this great day comes, God is still going to shower his people with love. God is still going to provide a way to redeem his people despite their sins, despite their rebellion, despite their constant whining and complaining. God still showers his people with love. The text says in Malachi chapter 4 and verse number 5. Malachi chapter 4 and verse number 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Even though, even though you complain, even though you whine, even though you cry, even though you have been very, very rebellious, a great day is coming. But guess what? Before this great day comes... I'm going to send you a prophet. I'm going to send you a messenger. I'm going to send you a servant in the likeness, in the spirit, and in the power of Elijah who will turn your hearts back to me. This man is going to pave the way for the Messiah. This man is going to get you ready for this great day. And so God gives his people about 400 years to think about this. There's about 400 years where God does not speak and his silence is broken in Luke chapter 1 by an angel by the name of Gabriel. In Luke chapter 1, Gabriel breaks the silence. He comes to this man by the name of Zechariah and he tells Zechariah that he and his wife Elizabeth are going to have a son. There will be much joy and much celebration over this son. This son from the time of his birth will be filled with the Holy Spirit and he will be great in the Lord. Zechariah listens to the angel's voice in verse 16 of Luke chapter 1. The angel says, And this son of yours will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Verse 17, And he will go before him in the Spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people who are prepared. Sounds a whole lot like what we read in Malachi chapter 4, right? This is the fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy. The time has come. This son that Zechariah and Elizabeth will have will be that messenger. He will be that servant. He will be that prophet who comes in the spirit and in the likeness of Elijah. When Zechariah heard this, he couldn't believe it. This is too good to be true. This is awesome. I can't believe it. Gabriel says, you better believe it because it's going to happen. And because you don't believe it, you're going to be mute. You're not going to be able to talk until this happens. And so in Luke chapter 1 and verse number 57, the time has come for this child to be born. The text says in verse 57 of Luke chapter 1, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zachariah after his father. 
But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid, up, laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? What then will this child be? What will this child turn out to be? What will become of this baby boy? who we all know as John the Baptist? That's the question that we're going to answer this morning. What would become of John the Baptist? What would John the Baptist grow up to be? First thing that John the Baptist would grow up to be was a man who was different. John the Baptist was a man who was different. From the very beginning of his life, he was different. He was given the name John. There was no one in his family who was named John. During this time, baby boys were named after their father or after some other distant relative. There was no one in John's family who was named John. When his parents, Zachariah and Elizabeth, tell the crowd of people who were there for his birth that we're going to name this boy John, they're astonished. Why? Because that was a different name. John the Baptist would grow up to be one who was different. He had a different name, and he lived in a different place. If you want to look at Mark chapter 1, in Mark chapter 1 and verse 1, Mark begins talking about the ministry of John the Baptist. And the text says in verse number 4 that John appeared baptizing in the wilderness. He appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 5, and all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him. John was different. He lived in a different place. He lived in the wilderness. He lived away from people. He was a recluse. He was a vagabond. He was a hermit. People were coming from Judea to him. He lived away from people. Why? Because he was a different type of person. He had a different name. He lived in a different location. And he wore different type of clothes. The text continues to say in Mark chapter 1 and verse number 6. Mark 1 verse 6. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist. And the text continues to talk about what John ate. He ate different type of foods. He was clothed with camel's hair and had a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. Back in Luke chapter 1, at the birth of John the Baptist, Gabriel tells his father that John would not drink wine or strong drink. Jesus describes um, the, the food that John would eat in Matthew chapter 11. He says that John came neither eating nor drinking, and people thought that he had a demon. Why do you suppose the Holy Spirit saw it necessary to tell us where John lived, what he wore, and what type of food and drink he ate? Why did the Holy Spirit find it necessary to tell us those facts? He found it necessary to tell us those things because those things were different. John was different. He was one who stood out. 
He wasn't concerned about what everyone around him thought about him. He wasn't concerned about going with the grain. He wasn't concerned about trying to live like and talk like and and speak like and behave like everyone around him. His greatest concern was doing the will of God. And that was preparing the hearts and the minds of people for the Messiah before that great and awesome day would come. John the Baptist was a man who was different. But not only that, in Luke chapter 1, they ask, what will this child be? This child would be one who exalted Christ. John the Baptist would be a man who constantly exalted Christ. From the very beginning of his life, before he was even born, he was exalting Christ. If you remember back in Luke chapter 1, in Luke chapter 1, his mother is still pregnant with him. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is pregnant with Jesus. Mary enters into the home of Elizabeth and Zechariah, and she greets Elizabeth and Zechariah. And guess what happens when Mary, the pregnant mother of Jesus, greets the pregnant mother of John the Baptist? The text says in Luke chapter 1, in verse number 41, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Before John was even born, he was exalting Christ. In John chapter 1 and verse 31, John tells the crowds that everything that he did and everything that he taught was for the purpose of revealing Christ to the world. John was all about Jesus. His greatest concern wasn't trying to exalt himself, trying to promote himself, trying to get his own agenda across. John's greatest concern was exalting the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In Matthew chapter 3, at the beginning of his ministry, the text says that John went about preaching a baptism of repentance. John tells the crowd, I preach, I baptize with with, with water for repentance, but there's one who's going to come after me who is greater than me. There's going to come one after me whose sandal straps I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. There's going to come one after me who will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. There's going to come one after me who is truly the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. John, ladies and gentlemen, was always promoting Christ. He was always exalting Jesus. In John chapter 3, In John chapter 3, verse 22 through 36, we have John and Jesus who are both baptizing people at the Jordan River. Masses of people are coming to John. Masses of people are coming to Jesus. John's disciples are upset. They're jealous. They ask John, why in the world are so many people going over that man Jesus to be baptized? John stops them in their tracks. says, hold on a second. Hold on a second. I'm no one. I'm not a special prophet. I'm not a special man. I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. But that man over there, that man is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. Listen to him. John's greatest desire in life was promoting Jesus. He wanted to exalt Jesus in any and every way that he could. What will this child be? This child, John the Baptist, would be one who was different 
He would be one who was always exalting Christ. And he would be one who fearlessly taught the truth. John the Baptist was one who fearlessly and boldly and confidently taught the true word of God. His message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, because judgment is coming. That was his message to the common person, and that was his message to the religious elite. In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist is preaching this message of repentance. The, the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders come in thinking they're so big and bad. John tells them, repent, you brood of vipers. Has, has no one told you about the wrath of God to come? Don't think that just because you are children of Abraham that you will be excluded from the wrath of God. You need to repent. God can raise up children of Abraham from these stones. Don't think that just because you are Jews, don't think that just because you are religious leaders, don't think that just because you come from the stock of Israel that you are so special. You need to repent just like everyone else does because a great day is coming, because judgment is coming. Get ready for that day. That was his message to everyone. He fearlessly and he boldly taught the truth. So much so, so much so that he got his head chopped off for it. In, in uh, Matthew chapter 14, he tells Herod, the governor of Galilee, you have no business to sleeping around with your brother's wife. And because John told Herod that, the governor of Galilee, he gets his head chopped off. He's decapitated. But he didn't care. He couldn't care less about preaching to the common person. He could not care less about uh, preaching the truth to religious authorities. And he could not care less about preaching the truth to the governor of Galilee. His message was the same for all. He fearlessly taught the true word of God. Not only that, a question was asked in Luke chapter 1, what will this child be? This child would be a man who made a difference. John would be one who made a difference. Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Son of God, said about John that he is greater than a prophet. Jesus said John was greater than a prophet. He said that there has not been a single man in history before John, born of woman, who is as great as John. All of the men born before John, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, all of the prophets, none of them were as great as John. That's what Jesus says. John had that much of an impact on the world that he lived, that he was the greatest man born of woman. Herod, Herod, the one who had John's head cut off, even professed John to be a, a righteous and holy man. Mark chapter 6 and verse 20. His own enemies called him a righteous and holy man. In John chapter 10 and verse 41 through 42, we learn that many people believed in Jesus because of the word of John. John attracted crowds. People listened to him, and people listened to him and obeyed Jesus because of his testimony. In all three synoptic gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when Jesus asked that million-dollar question, who do men say that I am? First thing that all of them said was, some say John the Baptist. 
I'm not trying to compare John the Baptist to Jesus. I'm not trying to say that John the Baptist was as great as Jesus. But it's very, very interesting that someone as great and powerful and mighty as Jesus Christ was mistaken for John the Baptist. Some say John the Baptist. Jesus, some people think that you're John the Baptist. John the Baptist made that much of an impact on his society during his time that people thought the Lord and Savior of the world was him. John the Baptist was a man who made a difference. And so as we consider the life of this man, as we see how he was one who was willingly... uh, who was willing to, to, to go against the grain with so much humility and grace, as we consider how, how this man uh, lived his life for the Lord, how he was constantly exalting Jesus Christ despite what people in the world thought about Christ and despite what people in the world thought about him, as we consider this man who fearlessly and boldly taught the true word of God, as we consider this man who made a difference, as we consider this man who is commended by Jesus Christ himself, We ask ourselves, will I ever be able to live up to that? John the Baptist was the man. There's no way in the world that I could could, uh, follow in his steps. I'm happy this morning to tell you that John the Baptist was not Superman. He was a very simple man who was just like us. He wasn't superhuman. John never performed any miracles. He didn't do any signs. The Bible tells us John did no signs. John chapter 10 and verse 41. He did no mighty works. There was nothing about him that was inherently special. He was a very simple, humble man who came in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. If you remember in James chapter 5, James is talking to Christians about the power of prayer. And he reminds these Christians of a man by the name of Elijah. And he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah was a man who is just like us. And he prayed. And God answered his prayers. And so if Elijah, a man just like us, can pray and God will answer his prayers, we too can pray and God will answer our prayers. Though true, though true, that's not the point that I'm trying to make this morning. The point that I'm trying to make is, James chapter 5 tells us that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah was a man who was just like us. John the Baptist came in the spirit and in the power of Elijah, and so that would make John the Baptist too a man who was just like us. He was a very simple, and he was a very humble man, and he made a difference in this world. And so, if John the Baptist was a man who was just like us, and he was able to be different in a world that was far different than him, then we too can be people who are different in a world that is far different from us. We are called to be different. In 2 Peter chapter uh, 2 and verse 9, the, the apostle Peter says that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for the Lord's own possession, a people who are called out of darkness into the Lord's marvelous light, a people who once were not a people, but now we are God's people. We are called to be different. We are a peculiar people. We are strangers. We are exiles in a foreign world. 
And so since we are called to be different, we must be different. Paul would say in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, don't be conformed to this world. Don't be like this world. Don't be like the worldly people at work, the worldly people at school, the worldly people perhaps in your own home. Don't be conformed to this world, ladies and gentlemen, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. We must be different. If John can do it, we can do it. But not only that, if John can exalt Christ, we too can exalt Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse number 14, the Apostle Paul writes to the Christians there in Corinth, For the love of Christ controls us. For we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and since one has died, all of us have died. And because we have died, we're going to live for he who has died and was raised for our sins. Paul says that the love of Christ controls us. That means God's love, Christ's love, guides us. It leads us. We are going to live in subjection to it. We are going to exalt Christ. We are going to let our light so shine before men, as Jesus would say in Matthew 5, 16. We are going to shine our lights to the degree that men, they don't glorify us. They don't look at all of the good things that we do. They don't look and see um, how, how great we are. When we live for Christ, they see how great He is. That's the way we have to live. And we can live that way. John the Baptist, a very simple man, lived that way. And we too can live that way. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you want to turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul writes to the Christians in Corinth who were so impressed with their wisdom and their knowledge and their ability. Paul says to them in verse 1, When I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God, with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith not, might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul says, I didn't come to you preaching uh, some lofty, some educated, some message that exalted me. That's not the message that I preached. I preached a very weak, a very um, uh, insincere message so that the message was sincere, excuse me. It was a very weak and a very simple message. And his message was weak and simple because he didn't want to get in the way of Christ. He didn't want himself to get in the way of Christ, and that's how we should live. We don't need to get in the way of Christ. It's not about us. It's not about trying to put ourselves on a pedestal. It's not about trying to get our agenda across. It's all about glorifying God. It's all about exalting Christ. John the Baptist, a simple man, did it. We're just like him. We can do it. We can do it too. John the Baptist could fearlessly teach. We too can fearlessly teach. We must fearlessly teach. John taught because there was a great day coming. 
John taught because the Lord of all creation was going to come and he was going to wipe every single person out who did not believe in him. And so John saw the importance and he saw the necessity of fearlessly preaching the truth. There is still a great day coming. The Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10 that, that the, the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. It's going to come when we least expect it. The heavens will pass away with a roar, the elements will melt away with intense heat, and the earth and all of its works will be burned up and destroyed. There is a great day that is coming. Judgment is coming, and so, and so, since we have God's Word, since we are here this morning, since we know God's Word, let's not be ashamed to teach it. Because Paul says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 that the Word of God is the power of God unto salvation. And he says he's not ashamed of it. He's not ashamed of it, and we shouldn't be ashamed of it either. It's the power of God unto salvation. This book gets people ready for judgment. John got people ready for judgment. We must get people ready for judgment by preaching and teaching this book. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, in verse number 8, that he's not ashamed of the testimony of Jesus because he is convinced in the Lord, because he believes in the Lord, and he knows that the Lord will deliver him in the last day. That's the same type of confidence that we must have. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Don't be ashamed of the Word of God. Why? Because we believe in the Lord. Because we are, uh, are convinced that the Lord will deliver us on the last day. We will be rewarded for our works. That's what Paul is saying to the young evangelist Timothy. Fearlessly teach the Word of God. John was one who fearlessly taught the Word of God. And we must too. And finally, if John was one who was able to make a difference, we can as well. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter five in verse number twenty. Paul says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God makes his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Every last one of us sitting here this morning are ambassadors for Christ. God makes his appeal through us. It is our goal, it is our duty to preach the word of God to this world so that they will be reconciled to God. We are representatives of God. And when we live our lives with that in mind, when we live our lives for Jesus, when we walk in step with the Savior, when we tell people about Jesus, when we live our lives with humility and with grace, with confidence and faith in the Word of God, when we live our lives this way, you can rest assured that you will make a difference. You'll make a difference today, and you will make a difference in the generations to come, just like John the Baptist did. He was a simple man who made a difference we are very simple people, and we too can make a difference. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to be educated. You don't have to be popular. You can be a normal person and make a difference in the kingdom of God. In Luke chapter 1, when that baby boy John was born, 
I'm sure no one, no one there would have imagined that that child would have come to this. No one there in Luke chapter 1, when they saw that baby boy in Elizabeth's arms, no one would have imagined that 2,000 years later, we would be talking about him at the Rolling Hills Church of Christ in Spring Hill, Tennessee. They would have never guessed that. When you came up out of that watery grave of baptism as a child of God, as a babe in Christ, perhaps you nor anyone else that you knew, would have imagined the potential that you had to make a difference in the kingdom of God. No one would have ever imagined it. But guess what, ladies and gentlemen? God had great expectations for John the Baptist, and he has great expectations for me and for you. And we can fulfill those expectations when we get up every single morning, we humble ourselves, and when we live for the Lord. When we do that, we too can make a difference. Let's pray. Dear most gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you now humbled before your high and exalted throne. You are the King of kings, and you are the Lord of lords. We thank you so much for your word, and we thank you so much for your plan. We thank you so much for revealing this man, John the Baptist, to us in Scripture. We thank you so much for his life and his example that he has left for us to follow. We pray that we will follow his life and his example, which ultimately leads us to your son, Jesus. We thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you so much for his perfect life and his perfect example, and we pray that we will emulate that or strive to emulate that in our lives every single day. We thank you for his sacrifice and all that it means for us and the hope that it gives us. And we ask all of these things in his name. Amen. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, why aren't you a Christian? God sent his son down to this world from, from uh, 42 generations to suffer and to die and to rise so that you could have life. Become a child of God today. Believe in the word of God. Believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Confess that to all of us today and have your sins completely washed away in baptism. Connected with the blood of Jesus. Rising forth, walking in newness of life. Rising forth, living every single day for the Lord. If you've done that in time past, but you've fallen away and you would like to make things right today, uh, if you have any other spiritual need this morning, we ask that you please come to the front while we stand and sing the song of invitation.